Well, Merry Christmas. Again, I, I'm sorry to miss Christmas, Christmas Eve with you. Uh, but I, I see the word got out that I was going to be back. <laughs> <laughs> well, let us take joy. It is only the second day of Christmas, and so we're still very much in the Christmas season. Uh, there's still time for gift giving and receiving. We stretch that out over 12 days. And all of you know that this gift giving and receiving, this can be a tricky thing. I, I know. Appropriate giving, appropriate receiving is not always straightforward. And at some time or other, we, we will all run into uh, gift exchange awkwardness. Maybe you did this season. What happens when someone that you work with, someone that you just kind of consider a, an acquaintance, you hardly even know, unexpectedly gives you a really nice present? You had that situation? Are you supposed to give back? No? Or recall the unpleasant sensation that you've probably had when you hand your own very thoughtful gift, something you, you pondered over to someone whose face betrays that uh, they, they never had a plan to give you something. <laughs> uh, and now you can feel this resentful obligation. <laughs> yes. Or there's the, the bind of the wealthy relative. Uh, who every year gives you this amazingly creative, wonderful gift, expensive thing, uh, and there is simply no way to reciprocate, ever. You, you could never give to this, uh, this wealthy relative. Well, the thing is, subconsciously, we all know that gift giving, it's a, it's a part of social ties. It's a part of uh, negotiating social ties, negotiating uh, our social arrangements. Uh, who belongs to whom? With what degree of obligation to one another? Now, compared to the ancient world, modernity is largely, we, we've really tried to push this back. Um, we've tried to eliminate the many layers of, and systems of gifts, but it always seems to creep back in, and it's especially in these situations I'm talking about, of negotiating. There is a folk tale that illustrates this uh, subtle fear of gift exchange. Um, I've shared it before. If you're familiar with Beowulf, you'll recognize that this folk tale sneaks into that epic. In the folk tale, there is a noble house. It's a hall or a castle or a palace. Because folk tales, they pop up in all sorts of cultures. You recognize there's this core story underlying them. So sometimes it's a castle, sometimes it's a fortress, sometimes it's a house. And this noble house gets attacked by a monster. Dragon, demon, monster. And everyone, ha everyone who's tried to fight it has been destroyed. It's, it's overwhelmingly powerful. The people are completely helpless against the monster. And then a mysterious traveler shows up. The mysterious traveler is, is key to the folktale and offers to free them. Sometimes um, 
Uh, he, he leads with some negotiations. I'll free you if. But he offers to free them. And the problem that the people have is that they have no choice. There is nothing they can do. They cannot free themselves. The traveler knows it. They know it. So they accept his offer. They all clear out. And alone in the night, this mysterious traveler fights and destroys the monster. And now comes the terrible dilemma, the gift dilemma. What can you give the hero who's done what no one else could do? How do you reward the one to whom everything in some sense now belongs? Like, right? He has a claim now on everything. So how do you reward him? What ransom can you pay for the one who has purchased every single life in the noble house? Well, in the folktale, the, the people assemble a treasure, uh, each one bringing their best stuff. But when they realize that they still feel completely obligated to the traveler, having even though they've heaped up the treasure, they still feel obligation because the weight of what he has given is so much greater. They're left with two options. They ask him either to become their king or they ask him to leave. Nothing else will work. You either rule or you, ha you can't, you have to leave. Well, this is the bind of the unrequitable gift. And it, it seems to be a basic human fear like a deep down fear, is that we will all find ourselves in that position. As we think about the incarnation of the Almighty God during the Christmas season, we sooner or later bump into the fact that a gift has been given that cannot be repaid. For what can a man give in exchange for his life? Except his life. The Gospel of John opens beautifully and poetically with reference to this impossible gift. That's where we are, John chapter 1. You have the Bible. Please do open it. The gospel begins with the ultimate giver, the mysterious traveler. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. All things. And without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light, this life-conveying light, shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. That, that is an awe-inspiring description of the giver. Every single thing we enjoy, everything we enjoy comes from the maker of everything. James says in the epistle, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow or variation due to change, and of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Jesus, 
The word of God is the personal means by which God has brought every gift into the creation. Every gift that we enjoy. Kids, the breath that you have right now, gift from God. The next breath, gift from God. The food that we eat, gift from God. The homes, gift from God. Everything that was under the tree yesterday, gift from God. And as we've been recalling in Advent, verse 9 says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So the source of all life in God, which awakened the earth out of chaos, which drove back the darkness that brought order and light into the world, into the cosmos, that was coming. That, that source of life was coming. The giver of everything was coming to those who owed him everything. That's an intimidating reality. Like, I, I don't know if we think about the incarnation that way very often or the visitation of Jesus into our own lives. The one who has given us everything, to whom we, we owe everything, under whom we, we experience complete obligation, he's coming. Now, if we think that we, uh, if we think that his giving, uh, his giving of all of these gifts to us places us in an obligation in which he expects us to give back to him, then his visitation is very awkward. Very awkward. And so, as in verse 10, John notes the, the paradox here. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. This is beyond the old folktale. It's not just that a mighty traveler arrives. In the true story of God, this, the mighty traveler comes to his own kingdom. He comes, to, he comes to what already belongs to him. Right? He, he's, not just visiting, uh, he's not just visiting a kingdom that's in trouble. He comes to his own kingdom. Right? This is the, the be <coughs> that belongs to him. The word made flesh comes to his own, to his own people, his own realm, his own gifts, comes to his own house. He's got the keys and everything. He knows what's in the refrigerator. This, this is his place. He knows where the silverware drawer is. You know, these are the kinds of things that only when it's your house. He knows where the glasses are. His house. And it's his house that's been invaded by a dark monster. It's that the house of the maker of all has been invaded by a monster. Gets more marvelous still, though. He knows each person in the house perfectly. It's his household. Because he designed each one. As the maker and the giver, he was outside of what he had made. He, he made it. He wasn't in, in it. He wasn't part of it. He was outside it. 
and then he entered it. The painter entered the painting. The musician became part of the song that was being sung. Even while he plays it, or a storyteller, as he tells his story, he becomes a character in it. But the thing that he has been making has been invaded and darkened. The thing that he has been making has set itself against him. His own house has set itself against him. He came to his own, John writes, and his own did not receive him. It's at this point that John begins to move into the world of gift exchange. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Giving, giving and receiving here. To all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. In coming to his own, in coming to his own house, the giver of all good things was offering the most perfect gift, the most precious thing a human could hold, the most precious thing that a human could have and experience. He offered himself because life came to visit. Life came to visit. And to anyone who receives him, anyone who welcomes him to stay, stay here, become part of this household, he gives more. He gives truth, understanding. He gives a place at his table as his own child. But it, it's a disturbing reality to acknowledge that and see that many don't want to receive him. Many don't want him. They want to enjoy his gifts without welcoming or even acknowledging the giver. Nobody wants to be enslaved by the monster. Nobody. Nobody we know wants to be enslaved by the monster. We want the freedom. Everyone wants the freedom. Everyone wants to enjoy the run of the house. but many don't want to acknowledge the giver. So let's consider. The giver of all life was bringing light into a world that had become dark. And we know that he had come to fight a monster whose weapon was the fear of death and whose weapon was the darkness of lies about God the great deceiver, his great, uh, his great success lies in, in confusing us and sowing lies about who God is. And he has been hard at work. And so we know that the giver of all life had come to bring light, to disperse those lies uh, to, to drive them out. And with the word of God, he removed, he removed ignorance and blindness from humanity. He unmasked Satan. 
He unmasked the lies that had cloaked the world, that had cloaked his people Israel, that had deceived them, and had cloaked the nations in confusion. And so now God himself was coming to disperse the darkness and lies and deal directly with the cause of fear. Death. And judgment for human sin and rebellion. Now he was coming to deal with the rebellious household. He dealt with the monster, but there remains the household to be dealt with. And everyone understood and understands the fear of death. But in taking punishment for sin, the giver, the giver was offering a gift that uh, he was offering a gift that the world had forgotten it needed. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. So now. Wherever the law had come, wherever the law of God was known, God had given a, an earlier gift of enough light to see the situation rightly, to see the situation for what it was, because the law brought uh, an understanding of sin. The law, the, the law revealed rebellion. The law revealed a need for forgiveness. And so it allowed us to see our bondage and enslavement. The law did a good work. So Israel became a testimony. Israel's life with God became a testimony to what a loving God he is. No matter how rebellious this household, constantly rebellious, he was faithfully committed to them, faithfully loving towards them. And he consistently loves a people who's unwilling to obey him and unable to love him back. Constant gift, constant gift. So when Jesus came to earth, the world outside Israel was, it was too darkened, too darkened to know it needed the gift of light. And Israel was, was mostly unwilling to accept the gift that it couldn't reciprocate because we don't like gifts we can't reciprocate. And because they were subject to Satan's deception, the law gave them the illusion that they actually could repay God. They actually, because he was good, uh, they could repay him by being good. Sacrifices and offerings, that could keep the score even. He gives us gifts, we give him back gifts, and we can keep it even. But when Jesus came, bringing life and bringing light itself, making clear that he alone could deal with the darkness. He alone could deal with sin. No amount of repayment could, could suffice. No matter how much you piled the treasure, it's not enough. He forced a choice. Receive him as king and accept his gift or ask him to leave. Receive him as king, or ask him to leave. 
Isn't it interesting that old folk tale has two endings? I think that's so fascinating. In some versions, they simply can't deal with the hero's gift of deliverance. But they won't give him, they won't give him rule. Or his choice of gift, as it sometimes is. And so they ask him in some way to leave. Uh, in this version, when the people do ask him to leave, it always result, results in disaster. The town's destroyed. The fortress is destroyed what? because he was the rightful king. But in the other ending, the people recognize it, it dawns on them, we couldn't have a better king. Why would we ever want any other ruler than this? We couldn't have a better king than one who's given them their lives. And that they have a, a personal obligation to him that isn't about wealth. And it, it's not about material gifts. It's about life itself. And in that ending, it's typically revealed that he's the long-lost prince of this place anyway. Uh, the, the return. It's the return of the king. He's come back. He belonged here all along. Part of the King Arthur legends built on that version of the folktale. Receive grace or ask him to leave is a folktale and a legend because it is the human story. It's the ongoing choice. From his fullness, John writes, we have all received grace upon grace. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. He has, in fact, poured his life into the world. He's scattered his goodness everywhere. And we are always, all the time, we are right this moment receiving good things from him. Breathing. Enjoying trees that make fruit. Grasses that give grain. Enjoying families and friends and minds that keep working, at least for now. Bodies that don't immediately fall apart, though they threaten to at any turn. He keeps giving grace upon grace. The fact that our minds are working right now is remarkable. The law was given through Moses was a good gift, a gift that brought knowledge of sin and the need for help. And grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So because God came down and dealt with darkness, the word of God is in the world speaking. He's in the world. He's right now speaking. He's speaking through the Bible. He's speaking through the church. He speaks through the songs that we sing. He speaks through the liturgy, the prayers that we say together. The emblems of broken body and blood shed. He's speaking. He speaks simultaneously the word of truth and the word of grace. Truth. We desperately need him. Grace, the gift is given. And when we dare to accept the word that he speaks we simultaneously receive this truth 
of our overwhelming need. We receive the truth of our need. If you come to the table and you stick out your hand, you are expressing, I need the life of God. I need forgiveness. And at the same time, grace is given. To say that I need it is to receive the gift. That God has crushed our enemy. That he's taken our sin. And that he looks with favor on you as his child. So our choice is to accept the gift with the obligation to honor him as the rightful king or to ask him to leave. That's always, that's always the choice. It's a choice today. It's a choice tomorrow. It's always happening. People are always making the choice because the gift is always being offered. Enjoy the kingdom of the rightful king or ask him to leave. So as, as his people, let's offer thanks. That's really all we can say. That's really all we can say to the one who has done everything is to say thank you. And let's offer ourselves to the giver of all things, the giver of life, and ask him to be our king. Gracious Lord, you have done marvelously. You, you have worked wonders. And we pray that you would uh, open our hearts to you as king. In this Christmas season, would you work the wonder of who you are and the goodness and the, the gifts that you've poured out on us. Give us thankful hearts, we pray.